0: Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast, presented, of course, by Esports Network. I'm your host, Mitch Dreams, and today we are talking to Paul Brewer. Paul is the ESL's, he's ESL's Senior Vice President of Brand Partnerships in North America. Paul, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Appreciate you having me, bud. Thank you.
0: So this podcast, we're going to be talking about Paul's role at ESL, uh, the ESL Mobile Open, and a new partnership they signed with LG, as well as just a variety of other topics. Going to let this go, you know, wherever the conversation takes us. So, Paul, I wanted to start, for people who aren't familiar, what is the ESL Mobile Open?
1: Yeah, ESL Mobile Open is a, an open platform mobile tournament uh, that's designed to really sort of attract anybody that's interested in competitive gaming on a mobile platform. Uh, very open ecosystem, um, sort of designed to... To take somebody from Joe to pro, so to speak. So um, it, you know, there's there's no real barrier of entry. It's just you have a mobile phone, and are you interested in competing? Um, and we've partnered with three different publishers um, to really sort of address multiple genres of game, um, and, and sort of provide an opportunity for you know players that are interested in different types of games. So uh, working with with Asphalt Four, a racing game working with, with the guys at Supercell for Clash of Clans and then um, with, with PUBG Mobile. So three very different types of games um, that attract you know, different types of gamers, so to speak. Um, and again, sort of open to, to all of us. If you and I want to sign up right now. We... I,
0: love, I love that aspect of it. So why did you guys want to make this an amateur? Obviously, there are professional mobile teams out there. But keeping this as an open competition, what's the, what's the idea behind that?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a good question. It kind of speaks to the, the sort of the roots of what we do at ESL. I think, you know, there's a lot of focus in the esports ecosystem or, or in the space on sort of that top of the pyramid, right? The the pro scene, the elite player, who's the best in the world. Um, I think for us, in order to have a top of a pyramid, you kind of have to have a bottom of a pyramid and, you know, you, you have to build that foundation and that foundation really comes in an open ecosystem where there's, um, you know, where there's mass playership and uh, mass opportunity for, for kind of anybody to, to build the foundation. So um, for us, you know, it, it's very much about providing an opportunity to, to build from the bottom up as opposed to the top down um, and provide the, the biggest opportunity for the for the biggest amount of, of gamers to really grow, grow gaming and, and competitive gaming um, as opposed to, you know, we're just going to talk about or, or speak to that, that elite gamer. Um, you know, like you see in some of some of the other esports um, realms.
0: Definitely. I think it's really cool about mobile as a platform. We're seeing there's so much there's there's a lot less barrier to entry on mobile games compared to traditional esports. You know, if you want to compete, uh, say the Fortnite World Cup, you likely needed to have a really nice gaming rig and really low ping. That was important in winning some of those engagements. But we've seen mobile take off, especially in a lot of other regions. If you look at India, where there isn't a ton of PC infrastructure, mobile gaming is the biggest gaming and PUBG Mobile is the biggest game. So I think that open nature really speaks a lot to the value of mobile as a platform for esports and allowing really anybody to come in. Almost, I, I think it's fair to say that everybody has a mobile phone of some sort at this point, at least if they're interested in competing in video games, they do. And so it's really cool to have that, you know, there's less barrier to entry there and anybody can enter because it feels accessible to anybody.
1: That's it. Right. And, um, you know, you bring up a good point. We, we definitely don't, um, we, we would never abandon the PC market. We would never abandon the console gaming market. Uh, but what we know is that mobile gaming makes up you know, roughly 50, maybe more than 50% of the global games market, you know, producing something like almost $70 billion in revenue. Um, and so we know that there's a, a massive, massive market out there. And really, it just comes down to how do we provide an opportunity for, for those people with you know everybody, to your point, Mitch, has a, has a phone in their pocket. So how do we provide an opportunity for those people to, to compete and be a part of esports, even though they may never have thought they, they would be? Um, so it's it's pretty exciting for us as we see sort of where gaming and, and competitive gaming is going um, to really kind of pioneer that and, and provide that opportunity. And
0: it's been really awesome to see the type of games that now can be played on the mobile platform. You know, for a while, mobile esports. You know, Hearthstone was on mobile. Clash has always been a pretty popular mobile game. But in the last year, we've seen Fortnite mobile and Call of Duty mobile and PUBG mobile. These games that you know wouldn't have even been Possible a few years ago, I think it speaks a lot to how phone tech is really progressing and progressing rapidly. So I want to talk about LG a little bit. You know how have the improvements they've made in the phone allowed you guys to bring in more uh, intense and and action packed mobile esports? Obviously, the other esports have their have their niche, but a battle royale on mobile through PUBG, that says a lot about the the phone specs that LG is working with here. <laughs> that,
1: you know, that's, that's the exciting part, right? For, for the publishers, they see that that growth and that opportunity. And so um, when you think about gaming and cross-platform gaming, no longer is it about Call of Duty just being on Xbox or PlayStation, but now there's a mobile version, to your point. Um, and one of the things that sort of enabled that is the technology behind it. I think we're seeing you know, phones in our pockets that are other than from a size perspective and form factor perspective are pretty similar in terms of capability to a screaming PC. And uh, the technology that, you know, a partner of ours like LG brings um, sort of enables mobile gaming to be um, moved closer to the forefront. Uh, Obviously, it hasn't necessarily passed PC gaming from an esports perspective, um, but you know, you're talking about a phone that that can do um, just you know as much as a PC can do. And when you think about what LG brings with with some of their dual screen uh, dual screen phones, it creates a, a field of play that's that's even as attractive as watching uh, maybe not quite as much on a on a big monitor, but um, close to that. So uh, I mean, we're excited about where it's going, obviously. Uh, but credit to people like lg for for building a phone that's kind of really designed when you think about it for for people who want to game um at a high level and and at a high frequency
0: yeah i am totally stoked personally i have the google pixel first gen and the back is cracking and so my plan actually after we finish this podcast is to go get myself a new phone i'm still not decided on which one i'm going to get it's going to be an android but it's either going to be the new pixel or maybe an lg uh I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still, I, I have to make that decision after this podcast, but I think gaming is one of the big things I'm going to be looking at as I make that decision. That's really going to be important. I like it.
1: I like it. Yeah. No, LG. I'm telling you, my friend, go go look at the LG. it's uh, If you're into gaming, it's it's the phone for it.
0: I, I'm going to check it out. I, lo- I like the Pixel a lot. I like the Pixel a lot, but I'm going to have to do some, I'm going to pull up some uh, some YouTube tech reviews and see where, see where we're at with the with the latest models.
1: There you go.
0: I think something else to talk about, how about this rise to mobile gaming, is this new generation of players. So I'm slightly past the mobile gaming generation. Like I play Fortnite on my phone. And I'm like, how, how do people do this? But when you look at kids like some of my cousins who are 16, 17, 18 years old, they are so adept at using their phone and the touch screen and the the way they can control it just has this level of control that I don't have. And I think it speaks to sort of these kids that have had touchscreens for a long time and it's been their primary mode of communication. Like I'm still a little old school, but for a lot of people, they can get a ton of really good like dexterity, quick, accurate movements using a touchscreen. And it's really impressive to me to see. And I think as time goes on, we're going to see you know, some really, really impressive gamers just using a mobile phone.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I um, I didn't get my first smartphone until I was in business school, uh, and you know, I'm I'm early 20s at that point. Uh, I have a six-year-old little girl at home, and she is already on her iPad or uh, taking my phone from me uh, and gaming with it. And uh, she will she will probably beat me. I mean, just because she's growing up in a generation where you you get a, a small computer in your hands uh, at the age of five or six. Um, and yeah, it speaks to a, a generational shift, right. Where, um, these guys are growing up guys and girls actually, which is an important point we should talk course, about, yeah. uh, guys and girls are growing up, uh, with the phone in their hands or with a tablet in their hands. And this is becoming very natural to them the way that you and I were, you know, playing basketball or baseball or whatever, and maybe gaming as a secondary thing on a, on an Xbox. Um, you know, the, today's generation have, have grown up with with little computers, little phones or or tablets in their hands uh, and gaming. So I think that's obviously a big reason for the numbers we spoke about earlier with the the number of people who are are making uh, mobile a big part of their gaming world.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that gender uh, disparity as well, because while PC esports are very male-dominated, it actually swings the other way on mobile games. And I don't think that's all esports based, but mobile gaming, I believe more women play mobile games than men do. It's a pretty significant margin. I don't have the number in front of me, so I don't want to like throw out random numbers, but that platform has always been more accessible to women. I think there's a variety of reasons for that. One being that there's less toxicity on that platform because generally there's less interconnectivity with your teammates, which I think definitely matters. Uh, If you play online and you've ever been in an Overwatch game and a girl gets on Quick Chat, it's very easy to see why they don't get on Quick Chat.
1: (laughs) Right. It's unfortunate. It's sad. It really is sad. Uh, It it
0: sucks to hear every time. It only takes one. You're going to have a lobby of 10 people. And even if seven of them are respectful, all it takes is two people to ruin your entire gaming experience. And so it, it sucks. Right.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. And uh, I mean, I know that this is not really what what the topic is, but one of the things we're doing in ZSL, uh, we have an initiative, kind of a a diversity and inclusion initiative called AnyKey. started with Intel, uh, really started as as a little bit of a research initiative around, um, you know, why is the the gender gap so vast in in gaming? Why is it so male dominant? Trying to understand that and then solve for it. Um, But we've, through that launch something called the good luck, have fun pledge. Uh, It's, it's basically a a pledge that says, I'm not going to engage in that. I'm not going to be a part of that toxicity. And if I see it, I'm going to report it and we're going to shame those that do it. Um, And in a, in a short period of time, we've got, you know, over a quarter of a million people who have signed up for this pledge and there's a integration on Twitch with a badge and it's fantastic. But um, I think to the point, mobile gaming is, is in and of itself kind of uh, helping drive that, right? Because to your, you know, what you said, Mitch, is, is exactly right. You don't get the the same sort of experience that you would in a PC world, um, and it's creating a, a lot better environment for for all, you know, uh, let's call it underserved, um, whether it's gender or even diversity cultures to uh, to be a part of, and it's uh it's good. I think I think mobile gaming is. Is inherently sort of driving driving something that that's really good that people probably didn't realize.
0: Yeah, anything that brings in more diversity and inclusion to the esports world is objectively a good thing, in in my opinion. I think that should be a common opinion. Probably isn't, unfortunately, but that's the world we live in. Uh, uh totally. I key is really cool that you bring that up. I've always wanted to have TL Taylor on a podcast. She is one of the people. One of the, the people whose research I did, I came over from the sports world, as did you, I believe. And yep. when I was making that move, I was always interested in video games for sure. But the esports world hadn't really developed as much. And so when I was coming in and I was like, okay, I want to do this esports thing full time. She was one of the people I looked at. I looked for people who'd been in the space for a long time, uh, people in academics. And I remember reading some of her work and some of the stuff that came out of any keys uh, conferences and events and that was some of the stuff i was like all right this is you know th- this is such a cool industry and they they're trying to push it forward and i want to be involved in this industry and help wherever i can to to help build it up and so that i'd love to have her on the podcast i don't know if that's feasible i know she's incredibly busy but that's that's one of my like uh, uh, top tier guests i'd love no, to have her on at some point
1: I hear you. And look, maybe we, we help facilitate that. We work really close with her. She's brilliant. Um, And also, you know, a pioneer in the space, you know, nobody was really looking at this. I don't think Um, and TL and, and and MIT and, and even some of her, her uh, kind of counterparts, a girl named Morgan, who's also fantastic. They've really driven this and uh, the nice thing about it, Mitch, in my mind is as we talk about it, it's, something that's close to ESL, but this is not just about ESL. It's about the greater gaming world. And so, um, you know, TL doesn't necessarily just work in the realm of ESL and what we're doing. Um, she's out there and, and her team is out there um, in a world trying to drive it, you know, whether it's at TwitchCon or with Overwatch League or, you know, all across the industry and not just in esports but in gaming. And uh, the work they've done has been fantastic. And we're we're really happy to sort of be helping them drive it. and. Um, finding ways to to grow that,
0: definitely. I think that's so important. And to to bring it back over to your role as a brand partnerships uh, director, I want to. There's one brand this I, I've j- it rolled on my mind is uh, Gen G's recent partnership with Bumble, which feels like it aligns with some of the stuff we're talking about. Where they're trying to promote. It's an all female Fortnite team for people who aren't familiar with that team, which fits in very nicely for Jet or for a. Uh, Bumble's goal as a dating app that has women make the first move, giving the that power into the into women's hands, and so they, I think that's a really interesting brand partnership that shows where some of this diversity and inclusion is going, and where it can also include brands in esports.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I think um, that's the coolest thing about esports. Right, is there for the longest time there was. Uh, sort of this fear or, or this hesitation from brands to to get into it and try to understand how they fit into sp- space. And there's this really really dirty word that people were using that I almost hate using, but everybody was kind of hiding behind this whole uh, authenticity sort of approach. And um, you know, one of the things that we've seen is that there's there's really so many things going on in esports, and it, it actually is you know, despite some of the toxicity we already discussed, it actually is a space that's actually really, really powerful um, and safe for, for brands. And I think what what Gen G and, and I've been on some panels with Chris Park and he's he's brilliant. Uh, I think what Gen G has done um, specifically with Bumble and, and their female team speaks to exactly that, right? Like you might think that this gaming thing, this esports thing as they say uh, is is just for just for the boys, but it really isn't. Um, and a brand like Bumble can can really help drive you know that type of initiative forward. Um, and and they do it really smartly. So um, yeah, I think that's a that's one example. And, and you know we we see it all across the industry. You know with with other leagues and, and tournaments. You know we saw Louis Vuitton and, and Riot recently announced something. Um, but even in our world, you know with partners like DHL and and Mercedes Benz, you know, brands that you wouldn't think, you know, have a place in esports or would use esports as a, as a marketing tool or part of their marketing mix. um, They found a lot of success um, just because it's, it's so sort of nascent and interesting and it's obviously very much the right audience. So um, yeah, good on, good on Gen G, but I think good on a lot of brands who are, who are getting in and realizing that this is a, a very good part of a marketing mix.
0: I'm glad you brought up Mercedes-Benz because that was another partnership that I saw back when I was first getting my toes wet in the eSports industry, where I saw a major non-endemic brand getting into eSports and connecting really well with the eSports audience. That was before a lot of brands of that sort of caliber were in esports. You know, you had your uh, you had your fast food, your energy drinks, the things that are pretty endemic to the esports audience, but Mercedes-Benz is obviously a luxury automobile. And so it was really cool seeing that sort of that sector be like, "Hey, we see the opportunity in this space as well." And now ever since they they've done that partnership and they've continued to to do those partnerships, we've seen a ton more brands like Louis Vuitton, these these luxury brands start to enter the space as well. So really cool to ESL to bring in one of those, really those first luxury good brands into the esports world. I love that.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. And I think the one thing I'd say that is important as, as a point here is that a lot of people see the audience and they there's such a mis, uh, misperception of what this is, right? They, they think it's a, a 16-year-old boy who, uh, whatever, the the <laughs> silly sort of, um, stereotype is somebody living in their basement. That's really not what it is, Mitch. This audience is is actually super uh, sophisticated and educated, and there is a lot of disposable income, and they believe in brands that support their their passions like gaming and eSports. And so um, while a lot of people like, like you and me as well, when I first started thinking about it and, and we first started working with them, uh, thought like wow, Mercedes Benz luxury auto. There's probably not a lot of esports fans who are buying luxury autos, but it's actually on the contrary. Um, esports fans are very much into higher end goods, and um, you know they're, they're actually Mercedes. The way that they market and the forward thinking nature of them as a company, um, they they were very smart in realizing there is a place for us in this space. And uh, this, is, this isn't just about somebody who doesn't have any money or any sort of ambition or or any sort of uh, you know will to to have the finer things. And and again, kind of good on them for for realizing there's a value here.
0: Yeah, it it's funny that stereotype still persists a little bit. I mean, just go to Silicon Valley. Like, you could go if you're a luxury good retailer. The best place you could be popular right now is on the Google campus, on the Amazon campus. Well, guess what those tech-focused people, guess what sort of competition medium they really, of course, they love sports as well, but you're going to see a ton of esports overlap at Apple, Google, Twitter, all these different companies that have, hey, guess what? A whole lot of money as well. Those employees have a lot of money. They love to buy Mercedes. So it's, it's It's just funny when obviously the biggest companies in the world are all these tech focused companies that people wouldn't see that that opportunity with a tech focused competition it's it's such a natural uh natural pairing
1: yep no totally agree couldn't have said it better um yeah t- today's esports uh culture is very much tomorrow's sort of tech leadership in silicon valley um you know habitant so um, makes so much sense that that they'd be looking at things like Mercedes Benz's and Louis Vuitton bags for sure.
0: Yeah, and then now we're seeing the the culture as well. We're seeing the the brands that they consider themselves cool, like luxury goods are. I think I think Mercedes Benz considers themselves classy, definitely cool, but maybe mm-hmm. more a little classy. Nike and Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton is probably a little classy too, but Nike's like cool that's like their their goal and so we're seeing that start to shift as well where it's not just you know this is this is mainstream culture it's this is uh, athletes are overlapping as well we're seeing all the athletes come into esports and so uh, the stereotype if the stereotype still persists it's just go talk to some nba rookies about what they like to do and they're going to yep. tell you video games no. it's it, yeah anybody who still has a stereotype is just not paying enough attention to what's going on around them at this point
1: you were so spot on that that whole stigma that playing video games isn't cool uh, i i don't know exactly what the numbers are but i've i know that the professional athletes if they're not practicing their sport they spend a lot of time playing video games uh, that's that's their release right and so uh, where once upon a time video games had that stigma uh, that has definitely been erased uh, in today's sort of culture, for it's, sure.
0: When you think about esports, it makes so much sense. I mean, we both ended up on similar pathways coming from the sports world to the esports world. And that wasn't really a drastic shift in my priorities at all. It's You can apply a lot of the same things about why sports are popular and what drives sports that you can to esports. There's still c- competitive evasive based events they just use a different medium that's the only thing that changes competition's fun we love competition it's why we got into sports so having more avenues of competition is really a natural extension of a sports fandom
1: you know that's just it um and in my world or my role i should say um you know working with different brands it's it's been there's been a, a long sort of education process um and I think once somebody comes to an esports event and they see it and they realize like, Oh, this is sports. This is, this is sports entertainment. This is no, no different. um, It becomes, it becomes so natural and and so obvious to them that like that this is, this is not any different. And, And the way that a brand integrates into the NFL is not any different than the way that a brand integrates in, into an ESL event. In fact, what Mercedes does with us, they also are now doing at, the U.S. Open, or at uh, you know the Masters, or whatever it might be in traditional sports, and guess what? It works in both places. So um, yeah, it, it's it's so funny the the challenges that brands have have started with, and then realized, oh, I, we actually have been doing this for a long time. We're really good at this. AT&T is probably the best example um, that we have in terms of the way that they've activated around traditional sports with golf, and now with the NBA, um, and even their five G initiatives. Um, what they do with 5G in the NBA last night or two nights ago with opening night um, is, is exactly what we will do around esports with, with AT&T. Um, and, and so it's, it's exciting, um, but it's also good for you and me who come from a traditional sports world to, to realize that actually we don't have to change our lives. This is, this is just another, another field of play is all.
0: I want to talk about your background a little bit. You spent some time at ESPN and then Turner. Is that right?
1: Yeah. And in between there, I was at, at Samsung. That's right. Um, but yeah, I, I came up in the traditional sports world, um, uh, got my sports business degree from NYU uh, and, and worked at, at ESPN um, and, and even dabbled a little bit in the Madden Challenge at ESPN way back in the day. Now I'm starting to date myself. That was classic. I um, loved I was a huge yeah.
0: Madden Challenge fan. That was like that first wave of esports where it was like they it just That's appeared right. out of nowhere and then they sort of faded away pretty quickly. But those Madden bus events, <laughs> I was a huge fan. I would watch those yep. religiously.
1: That was my world, my friend. It was fun, though. It was a lot of fun. Um, and, and look, I think two things. First, it was, it, it, like you said, it, it was a little ahead of its time. It, it was esports before esports were, were a thing. Um, and also, it was very much made for TV. And I, I think we know how. First of all, uh, for the most part, this audience consumes uh, sort of their entertainment. Linear TV might not necessarily be it, but yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And and the Madden challenge was—it's uh, funny. I grew up playing a lot of Madden, especially in college and undergrad. Um, played a lot of Madden, and then I actually got involved when it, when it was with ESPN, and realized that I wasn't as good at Madden as I thought I was. Um, but in any case, yeah, it was good. And then. Yeah, to the question, I, I uh, moved on to, to Turner Sports and uh, spent uh, five years on the on the digital uh, sponsorship side there, uh, which was fantastic. Some of, the, some of the best people I've ever worked with, but very much, yeah, traditional sports was was my my passion and my 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 jam. Um, but esports, you know, to the point is, is not too too different from from that.
0: I love it because it feels really natural to me. And I haven't, my sports fandom hasn't declined at all. I watch more esports events, but I watch both and I consume both. And I find, I just love the the crossover between the two. There's so much of it. And when you talk to some of the, you know, some of my very first articles I did were, I talked to Jared Jeffries from Echo Fox about his move from the NBA to esports. I talked to Andy Miller about how the Overwatch League, is resembling some traditional sports structures. That was back in 2017, I think. So and those were the articles that I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to talk about how these old, these sports athletes are now transitioning over to this hot new thing and what's applicable from the sports world and what's new to them in esports. And so I kind of want to ask you the same thing. What were some of the things that surprised you coming into the esports world? And what felt like a really natural transition from your time at Turner into the ESL life?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is um, kind of alluded to a second ago, you know, the, the nature of where our audience is shifting and, and not saying, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are saying TV's dead. I'm, I'm not going to say that. Uh, but I do think the, the consumption of competition, let's say, whether it's traditional sports or, or esports, is very much moving digital. So I started seeing it even working for a broadcast company like Turner. Um, started seeing the digital consumption around sports, whether it's on March Madness Live as a platform, um, or, or even you know the digital that you the digital consumption you'd see around NBA games um, on digital platforms. It was it was that's very similar to um, sort of the consumption that we see see in esports. And then the other thing I'd say is we already hit on it. Um, it it's all competition. Uh, you know, we're we're not talking. The di- obviously, there's a difference between uh, football and basketball and lacrosse and Overwatch and Counter Strike. But at the end of the day, those are, that's just sort of what the content is. At the end of the day, it's all it's all competition. And so um, the translation was actually very natural for me to to kind of bounce back and forth. Because even when I was at Samsung that was more that was very much an esports world. So to go from ESPN to Samsung to Turner to ESL uh was a little bit of a jig jag before between sports and traditional sports and esports. Um and, and I really never felt like I was doing anything different. Um I think it was just a matter of like I said, talking about counter strike as opposed to talking about um you know college football or or whatever. So yeah definitely definitely a fun path though i'll say that
0: definitely and and i totally agree with you uh you mentioned march madness live i have to give i'm not sure if it was your initiative but i have to give props to the boss button on march madness live <laughs> one of my favorite <laughs> digital things that ever happened for people who never used march madness live first of all what are you doing march madness is the best sporting event of the year uh second it's basically gives you all these games so march madness you're gonna have four games going for the for the sixteen, the round of sixteen. Where sixteen games are gone. It's groups of four, and it starts all day. So you have no choice but to watch it during work at school. You really, you literally, don't have a choice. I'm sorry. There's I, I, I do it. If, if you're my boss, I'm like I'm sorry. I'm doing this, uh, <laughs> but.
1: And the nice thing, you know, working at Turner during March Madness, um, it was kind of a holiday for us anyway. I mean, everybody, it was almost encouraged, right? It, you should be watching it. Like anybody that's not, what are you doing? Um, and yeah, it's the boss button. I mean, it speaks to sort of the um, the innovation that is Turner sports. Uh, the, the team there are just so smart and Turner and CBS working together, the boss button became a sponsored asset very quickly just because of its brilliance. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I aspect.
0: would expect. I, so what you do is you yeah. press it and it pulls up like an email. I think one one year is like an Excel spreadsheet, one year is email. Yep. And then you integrate some brands into there, real nice. But it's it looks official, but then all the the different things are little jokes about March Madness or about the games. And it's just it was it was such a great choice. It didn't have to be a thing. You could just pull it up and have people alt tab away, but. For you guys to introduce it, I just thought that was like really smart. And then you brand it immediately and make it a revenue generator as well. So really, really great idea.
1: Yeah, it was cool. Thank you.
0: I was, that was a tangent. I was going to bring up something else. Um, oh, it was the, the. if you look at the lifespan of a kid, and this is, this is sort of gets back to the competition of esports and how it's a natural extension, I think, You, like me, and like most people who ended up in the traditional sports world for some period of time, you play sports growing up. You're sometimes two, three sports, like year-round sports, and you slowly progress. You get to high school, you play JV, then you play varsity, and then you graduate from high school. And unless you are in that top 1% of athletes, these competitive structures that have surrounded your life for, you know, 13 years to this point basically disappear. And you can play intramurals, you can play pickup, but that league sort of aspect of it goes away. And most people just become sports fans. But for a lot of my friends and for me, that's when I really turned to esports in a big way because ranked ladders gave me that competitive structure that I was missing after being an athlete for so long. And I think that's a pretty natural extension. When you you graduate and then you no longer have these sports you've played, it just makes sense to start playing 2K or to pick up Rocket League or Fortnite and keep chasing those endorphins that were always there for that you got through competition for the first 13 years of your life.
1: That's totally right. Um, you know, one of the things that we've seen is that esports athletes, most of them are are also traditional sports athletes. You know, they, they, they train like athletes, they take care of their bodies like like traditional sports athletes. Um, and I think that one of the interesting things is, is we talked a little bit about barriers of entry. Uh, the nice thing about esports is you don't have to be, you know, LeBron James, you don't have to be 6'8", 245, and have a 40 inch vertical in order to compete in esports. Uh, really, it's a little. It's more about sort of dedicating the time, um, and and maybe a little bit about you know having the right focus and patience. But um, it's nice that there's no sort of physical attributes that limit you in esports. Um, and so, if you're just into competition, it becomes a lot a um, lot easier for you. There's a lot lot fewer barriers uh, for you to participate in esports. Um, but yeah, definitely the 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 esports athletes are, are total co- competition junkies, just like you and I would be.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point about the accessibility to it as well. You know, I was I developed I was I was a quick grower, so I was always playing center, and I developed this nice little uh, little baby hook shot, little cream. It was very saucy, and then I decided to stop growing at five eleven, and <laughs> turns out that doesn't work anymore when. The centers in in high school sports are now six four, six five, six six, and I'm getting my shit swatted into the bleachers. So
1: <laughs> that that baby, little baby hook becomes less saucy and a little little more scary. Yeah,
0: that's when I turned to tennis because <laughs> it's a better sport for me. But yeah, it, that accessibility is so important, and it gets back to what we were talking about earlier with the gender disparity. You know, men and women can compete on the same level. In esports, in a way that they can't do in traditional sports. And we even saw, we mentioned the Bumble Gen G Fortnite team. Well, one of their players, Tenares, won the TwitchCon Fortnite event, playing with, uh, I think she was either a squad or a duo, but she won the event. And that was, you know, uh, we've seen it in some other sports. I think that was the highest level competition that a woman has won in esports at least quite some time. So it's really cool to see you know, an actual even playing field by genders. And there's obviously plenty of other issues that create uh, the percentage of males versus females that we talked about a little bit earlier. But it's just awesome to see that. And with time and with more initiatives like Good Luck, Have Fun, which, by the way, I'm going to put the link to below. So for any of our listeners who want to get on that pledge, uh, I'll have Paul send me the link and then I'll put that in the description. So be sure to sign up. I'm going to sign up right after this podcast as well. I just think it's really cool. And I think that's the future of esports. And we're headed towards a really interesting future.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, first of all, I appreciate sort of the support on good luck, have fun. But absolutely, I think the more we can do um, to continue to drive this forward collectively and, um, you know, knock down any barriers of entry that do exist, uh, you know, whether it's just for, those of us that are 5'11 and had a good baby hook in, in middle school and then hit a peak, or, uh, you know, those those of us who, um, you know, are limited by a, a mobile phone or, you know, whatever it is, um, I think the more we can do to, to drive that forward, you know, thank you for that.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love it. For one brilliant year, I averaged a double-double. I still think about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You put that on your resume. I Mitch. will.
0: You know what? I just might. That along with my Hearthstone win counts. They'll, they'll go side by side. There you go. <laughs> awesome. So that was most of the things I wanted to talk to you about. I, I thought this was a really interesting conversation. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. I'm sure they did. What Was there anything else I didn't ask you about that you want to say about the ESL Mobile Open, about some of the games, about some of the brands you're bringing in? You know, are there? Here's, here's actually one more question for you. Are there different brands that you can bring in from mobile esports compared to PC esports? Does that open up some new avenues for brands that are interested in this side of esports that might not be as interested in the PC side?
1: I think so. Um, it becomes interesting. I mean, look, my, my my stance is that you know within esports, you know, it really does create an environment for for any type of brand. But as we think about certain content sensitivities, or even certain levels of the ecosystem, right? Um, There are certain, you know, PC manufacturers who who are designing, uh, you know, gaming PCs or hardware headsets, keyboards, mice for the highly competitive, um, who are very focused on PC gaming, or even in some cases console gaming. Um, Maybe mobile doesn't make sense for them. But as you think about brands who are saying, "Hey, I I want a little bit," let's let's say less concentrated um, audience. I want a little bit more casual audience. I think mobile gaming uh, provides exactly that, right? We're talking about a, a much more casual uh, gamer uh, right now. Um, and so for a brand that may say uh, that's what I'm interested in, I'm less interested in hardcore, more interested in casual, or I love, um, you know, Asphalt, because there's so many people playing it and I love the racing scene that becomes really interesting, right? A, a brand like, I don't know, a, a tire company or, um, you know, an auto zone, somebody like that who says, uh, you know, this racing game is is really cool and there's massive reach and massive appeal. They, you know, they might not have the right place in Counter-Strike or in Overwatch, um, but they do in, in asphalt. So I think, you know, the, the mobile open provides, a little bit more of a diverse uh, opportunity, let's say, for, for for certain brands, I think, in that case. It's a really good question.
0: Definitely. The the AutoZone and the tire companies, those are it's so interesting. And seeing all the different esports that are out there and finding cool ways to integrate brands, what are your, some of your favorite brand integrations that either you've done or you've been a part of or you've seen from other people around the industry?
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those things where... Um, I, I sort of have to love all my kids equally. Um, but, you know, I, yeah, right. Um, you know, AT&T is, is one that comes to mind. I think what we've done just to to stand up mobile gaming in this country um, and even the way that they sort of activate, um, you know, using the right mix of influencers, they, they continue to take the expertise that they have in traditional sports teach us of of new ways that we can do it in in esports as we teach them you know w- ways to to do things in esports um I, I think that's a good one um you know with pepsi another one that's a, a little bit to your point earlier you know the snack foods and the energy drinks and things like that but pepsi launching their new game fuel product that's really exciting for us a, a new product launch um for a brand like pepsi that's got such a long legacy i think is is really good and then we already talked about you know mercedes and dhl i i think mercedes is is sort of self-explanatory but dhl a brand that's about logistics and shipping really telling the story of how they you know support esports events for e for esl um and i i'll need to send you the clip uh it's really it's amazing uh we had an entire arena um chanting dhl uh very rarely do you see an audience get behind a brand like that. Um, but I think, you know, all of our partners have done such a good job of, of being creative and, and speaking with the right tone of voice in the space. Um, and, and it's just so hard to pick, pick my favorite amongst us. Uh, and outside of us, you know, we talked a little bit about Bumble. I think that's, that's a really smart one. Um, I've seen, you know, there's just so many to speak to, you know, what, what State Farm does with some of their content, what Bud Light has done uh, with some of their content, um, and, and you know, Bud Light All Stars—we right. s- save that conversation for the next pod. But um, you know, there's definitely been some really smart things done um, now with Overwatch League from Bud Light. So, I, I, you know, I think just having these big brands in the space is is really the exciting, exciting. I love part that it. Bud
0: Light All Stars hit Ninja before anybody else. He came up and I was like, wait, I've seen that guy before. And it was because of as when he was back as a Halo player in those days, it was like 2011, 2012, that range. And Ninja's Hyper was recognized as a Bud Light All-Star. And that was one of the earlier brands to to get into esports. And clearly they had an eye for talent back then. <laughs>
1: That's right. Uh, if only they could get <laughs> exactly. him out. Exactly. Right? Yeah.
0: His, his audience is... Uh, Bud Light probably doesn't overlap too well. Ninja's never bringing in, in Bud Light on. Uh, he's he's done this great job. I mean, in terms of marketing, individual marketing in esports, he is just out of this world. I just saw a Dragon Ball Z shirt he did. Somehow he partnered with the makers of Dragon Ball Z because that art style looked really, really close. And that'll probably be sold at Walmart through that partnership. Like The way he's built an individual brand, I should give credit to his wife, actually, for Really being the person who built that brand, uh, Jess Blevins is her name, I shouldn't just say his wife, uh, Jessica Blevins, for building that brand is just incredible. One of the masterclasses of esports, brand building, especially on the individual level.
1: And and they've been so smart and selective. I mean, hats off to Jess, hats off to Tyler. I mean, it's not just about... And their group with, with Loaded, it's not just about how do we get the most dollars? Um, y- even as you think about you know his exclusivity on Mixer, it was really about how do we build the right brand? And that's nothing against Twitch, um, but the things that they they cared about, they're so thoughtful in their approach. And, um, you know, hats off yeah, to huge, them. Yeah, huge,
0: huge win for Ninja today to get Shroud. Not, shouldn't say him, but Mixer getting Shroud to come over to the platform. Uh, he was sort of alone on that platform. And now he has you know, Shroud is one of the five biggest streamers on Twitch and he's got that history of it. So Mixer having two of the top streamers in the game is absolutely massive. And so, you know, you see that and you know that he's also from Loaded and you could just see the wheels turning and they're like, all right, what if we make this the, we make this our our own platform, a little loaded, loaded heavy, and we're going to start seeing a little bit more. When he's by himself it's a little isolated once yeah. there's two it's the start of a crowd you know
1: totally and honestly this isn't any sort of inside baseball but I don't I don't think they're done Mitch I think it's gonna keep going I think we're gonna see quite a few of the the bigger names go exclusive somewhere and it might not be mixer um, but I think we're gonna see a little bit of a trend with that because um, you know the some of these platforms have to have to build themselves uh and then it gives a a good opportunity for for some of the personalities to build their own brand the way ninja does so i i think we're going to see more Yeah, i think
0: that's a i think that's a certainty especially as you see viewership numbers stay pretty steady like twitch hasn't had to sign people to exclusive deals because it was just a standard and so that's just going to be an added source of revenue for streamers it will be a slam dunk when they want to do it youtube will have a big person come over to youtube live and be exclusive there Pretty soon, I gotta be happy. Yep. Again, yeah, no inside yep, knowledge totally here, heard. but that's a uh, just something I feel confident in saying.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. All right, Absolutely.
0: ESL One Mobile Open. You open qualifiers right now?
1: Correct. Yeah, season three. Go sign up. Um, you know, we've, we've got three amazing publisher partners, um, three amazing games, and you get the chance to play on the the. Biggest stage, uh, especially in mobile gaming, but some of the big biggest stages in esports. Um, season three finals will be at DreamHack Atlanta, uh, in the middle of November. So, opportunity to 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 the point early with Ninja to start building that brand if you're into the mobile gaming space. So, um, definitely sign up if if you're. Yeah, interested.
0: if you play Clash of Clans, you play PUBG Mobile, or you play Asphalt Nine Legends. This is your chance. You've got a uh, you've got prizes on the line. You have a an opportunity to make your career in gaming. So if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully this is the first step in your career as a mobile esports superstar. We certainly hope so. And if you get big, remember where you heard about this, come back on the podcast. Oh yeah, that's that's important as well.
1: All- You're doing amazing stuff.
0: (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Paul. This was a great conversation. Definitely want to have you back on again in the future. I think we have plenty more uh, brand stuff, sports nerd, esports stuff, ESL stuff. I think we could talk for a while. So love to have you back on in the future.
1: I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, let's definitely do it.
0: Awesome. This was the Esports Network podcast. My guest, Paul Brewer, Senior Vice President of Brand Partnerships for North America for ESL. I'm Mitch Reams. Thank you all for listening.